Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. It began long ago. Two young boys in an American town riding their bikes to school and Little League practice. Over the years, the boys became fast friends, united in their love for stories where things would go horribly wrong. Pour yourself a strong beverage and buckle up. You're in the shallow end with Schnebly and Toth. Getting lots of emails. We're loving it. Lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. And uh, we had an email, Lindsay. People have, have gotten to know Kat and I over the years with the Box of Oddities. But we had an email. Somebody wanted to know how you and uh, your lovely wife, Nan McNamara, met. That's a great question. We met in the lobby of the William Morris Agency. We were both waiting to... Um, <laughs> That's such an L.A. thing. Isn't it? It's a very 1940s uh, Beverly Hills, William Morris Agency. Yeah. Yes, actors and actresses plod in and out, reading copy and auditioning for big jobs. <laughs> With a mid-Atlantic accent. Oh, wow. Who's that? Why, it's Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn. Wave to the camera, kids. <laughs> oh, my God. That's remarkable. <laughs> so anyway, we were, um, we were sitting in the lobby waiting to read, uh, waiting to audition, and... Um, that uh, classic thing of kind of passing, I would be going in as she was coming out or vice versa. And finally, after third day, she, she said to me in the doorway as we passed again, she said, huh, two ships. And I thought, two ships? Stop with your two ships, <laughs> you filthy thing. Yeah, I uh, started dating, um, I guess, a few months a few months after that. That was the summer of... Uh, Summer of 9-11. I'll never forget that. So our running joke is that our agent gets 10% of our marriage because we met in the lobby. (laughs) (laughs) What did you guys do for your first date? That's a very good question, Kat, and I happen to have the correct answer. We went to a uh, (laughs) restaurant in Toluca Lake, which is kind of part of, it's I guess technically city of Los Angeles, but it's It's near Burbank. Yeah, it's near Burbank. It was pretty much the whole town was owned by Bob Hope at one point. Isn't that correct? Yeah. Yeah. He lived there. Bing Crosby lived there. And it's still a lot of, uh, a lot of people within the industry. And of course, when we say the industry, we mean the business. And uh, (laughs) we were at an Italian restaurant, the name of which escapes me, but it was our very first date. We're sitting out on the patio and the uh, waiter comes up and hands us menus and says, you know, can I get you anything to drink? And I think we probably ordered a bottle of wine, knowing us. And finally, and he's, he's writing it down. And then he looks at me and he says, you know, you look like, uh, you look like that actor, uh, 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 Quaid. And I said, Dennis? And he goes, no, 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 no the, the fat one. <laughs> <laughs> this, this was your first date with Nan. First date, oh. and I thought, 
Is this your way of guaranteeing a huge tip at the end yeah. of this uh, wow. the end of this meal? Did you stand up and knock the table over and say "shitters full"? Mm-hmm. I, I, sh- I should have. I was too uh, I was too gobsmacked to uh, to even speak. I think I said, "Oh no, I've never heard that before." Wow, thank you, thank you, thank and I guess I'll be having the salad. Yeah, maybe better. maybe never mind the wine. Just a tepid glass of water. Yep. Would be fine. I will just wow. lick no my dessert, wounds. Just, and yeah. Just the check. Yeah, I'm surprised Nan married you after that, Lindsay. Jeez. Me too. Wow. Me too. I think I was I was able to steer her during that dinner to more <laughs> Dennis Quaid conversations. <laughs> well done, sir. Well done. That's why she never left. Yeah. <laughs> All right, hit me with a story, Linz. Well, here's something you don't want to ever hear or even worse, find yourself saying out loud. Wait, I think I'm slipping. Oof. Mm. 62 miles west of Tokyo sits the iconic Mount Fuji, one of Japan's three holy mountains. It's 12,389 feet high at the volcanic summit, and it's iconic. You usually see photos of it in the winter when it's capped in snow. So every year it's visited by religious pilgrims, mountain climbers, and just plain uh, sightseers. It's cold and slippery even during the brief summer season when amenity stations, as they call them, are staffed and available for the benefit of climbers. Now, in the off-season, those stations are closed and the mountain conditions are hostile and inhospitable. It's almost impossible to uh, climb. And a winter climber needs the proper gear, climbing experience, and, of course, some common sense. Mm. Ted Zhu Shiohara, a 47-year-old man from Japan, alas, lacked all three of those things, proper gear, climbing experience, and some common sense. And he came up with the idea of live streaming to an audience his trek up the snow-covered trail of Mount Fuji. What kind of cell service do they have over there? (laughs) It must be pretty impressive. I thought the same thing. Maybe because Tokyo is such a huge city that their cell service is just, you know, off the charts. Uh, Again, this is only... 62 miles west of west of Tokyo. So he's doing his little live stream and actually his entire video it's it's over 4 hours uh is available on YouTube. You can you can actually watch it in real time and it's it's mind-numbingly boring That's for the most part. Bad, yeah. yeah, I would think so. I would skip it ahead to the end. <laughs> Well, that's what I did. But I was curious to see. And it's interesting to watch because as he makes this progress up the mountain, he runs into people who are coming down because it's the end of the day. They're losing sunlight. It's getting colder. And he's just plugging ahead wearing street clothes. Oh, my God. And, you know, these people are looking at him like, are you sure you want to do this? And he's like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Plus, I'm live streaming. Got to keep in mind the audience. And so one of the things he says as he's live streaming is, I wish I had brought heat packs because my hands are numb, but I must operate my smartphone. Yeah, I don't think that's the only thing that's numb. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm. So wearing these street clothes, which were suitable for more of a a typical October day in Tokyo, he's carrying nothing more than a pair of, of climbing poles and his smartphone. And he's, in addition, going up this trail. It's called the Shubashiri Trail, which most climbers use only for descent, not ascent. 
So he's live streaming on the Nikonico video sharing platform, and he entitles his video, Let's Go to Snowy Mount Fuji. But it's not, you know, really very snowy. It's just colder than sin. But viewers start tuning in. And he can see on his phone that these numbers of viewers is starting to to tick upward. So he's telling his viewers how slippery the ground is. He says his hands are starting to go numb from the cold. And he's now wishing that he'd brought heat packs. And after some point admits, yeah, I probably should should have worn different clothes, but... He keeps saying, you know, I'm in this now. I've got you guys with me on as, as my audience. We're going up to the top. And at one point, he actually gets so high that he is now in a very snowy area. And you can actually see clouds that are below him. Oh, wow. Wow. You sure he didn't get so high before he even left? Because <laughs> well, this doesn't seem like a very sound decision. One would wonder. So he has now ascended from ash that's always around the base, because keep in mind it's a dormant volcano. Sure. And now it's turned to snow, and then it's turned to deep snow. So now Tedzu is treating his viewers to, to a litany of complaints about... <laughs> His cold, numb hands and his lack of hot packs. But he keeps going up. But why? He keeps climbing. Why? (laughs) Because he's got an audience and he feels like, well, the show must go on. A very good time for him to have turned back and resume a life of relative anonymity. But the urge to continue, perhaps motivated by his reluctance to disappoint these viewers, which are growing in number Mm -hmm. every minute, encouraged Tedzu to trudge farther into obvious and imminent danger. So he's continuing the social media commentary as he's juggling his climbing poles, his <laughs> smartphone in his frostbitten hands, and he's demonstrating a classic case of misplaced priorities. Mm. <laughs> yeah. But he says, must continue to operate. And his viewers, no doubt, are starting to notice that the trail has become narrower and narrower. And now he's at this place, and you can see this on the video, where this protective fence that you would recognize from other mountain climbing videos you may have seen Mm -hmm. the fence has ended and he's perilously close to the brink and you look at this and you think just for the love of god man turn around you don't have to do this and it's starting to get dark but he's past the point of no return and he actually says this place is slippery it's getting dangerous i'm trying to walk by the rocks yes rocks steep downhill does his audience hear that reassuring sound of crampons those those ice cleats biting into snow of course not no because he's not wearing crampons those boots with the steel spikes he doesn't even have an ice axe oh my god and the point is that the the slope is 30 degrees and as anyone still watching could see he's in a precarious place what kind of footwear was he wearing was it like converse all-stars or it sounds like street shoes man He's continuing along this risky path, and now he's starting to caution himself against falling. Some of the viewers might have given even a a, a chuckle because you can hear his tone of voice change. And more than once, he asks himself, am I on the right track? 
and viewers already <laughs> watching are thinking, no, dude, you're not. Turn <laughs> the hell around. Nuh-uh. No, no. Astonishingly close to the summit, but hell-bent on keeping that phone broadcasting, as it were, his hike. He utters the anticlimactic words, wait, I'm slipping. But even as he says that, he sounds remarkably calm. Now, experienced Mount Fuji climbers say that if you start slipping, you have one chance at what they call a self-arrest before it's too late. And that usually involves dropping anything that's distracting you and focusing on getting your poles as deep into the snow as you can. Right, right. But Tedzu's thinking, I got to hang on to the phone Mm. because I'm live streaming this. Everything is about this this video feed. So still live streaming away, he now begins this uncontrolled slide (sighs) down the rocky slope. And the viewers are actually watching this happen in real time. Oh, I'm so anxious. And the last thing you see are poles now tumbling free. And then a few seconds later, the phone footage just stops just clicks goes to a chilling image of the last piece of video which was broadcast which is just him in midfall according to the gotemba police station the area of yamanashi between shizuoka and yamanashi the areas straddling mount fuji people have been watching this live feed they start calling the police in that area because they they realize what's going on and, you know, it's a 12,000-foot-tall dormant volcano. And as one viewer who saw the video on YouTube said, sliding down this would be like sliding down the world's largest cheese grater. It's oh. just as inhospitable as can be. Ugh. Well, they actually didn't find his body until the next day at around 9,800 feet uh, away from where he fell. That's the equivalent of about 32 football fields. Now there is some, it's maybe a rumor, I don't know if it's been confirmed, that he had been diagnosed with cancer and that he had expressed his conviction that he would be cured, he was not going to die, and that he was going to live life to the fullest and thought this risk was acceptable to take. But we'll never know. Like a couple of other stories I've done, you shouldn't have to tell your kids don't ride your bikes on the roof, but anybody who's trying to take a selfie or live stream something, if anything in the back of your head thinks, this is not going so well, mm. probably best to listen to that. I got this from nextshark.com, the Japanese platform, Nico Nico, and the uh, Daily Sun. Oof. Never look at Mount Fuji the same way again. I just, you know, so many bad decisions Mm. and he seemed to be just driven by the idea of continuing to accumulate viewers and i'm wondering you know did he stop and answer some of the uh, comments or read the chats was he that involved in it or that's a great question if i had had the temerity to watch the entire four-hour video now granted he's speaking japanese which i don't understand but uh it does sound like people are talking to him Uh that he's doing a kind of chat in real time i see with people watching this but i think you bring up a really good point about how social media has completely altered people's behavior it has in ways that we have not seen even just in the past five years Oh, it absolutely has. And not just making bad decisions that could be life-threatening, 
but just people being assholes. Yeah, I just saw a video of a man who put his child on top of a sea lion that was near the shore and then was like freaking out when the sea lion like whipped around and tried to like bite her off of him. And the dad's like, oh my God. It's like, what else did you think was going to happen here? I didn't see that coming. Honest to goodness. (laughs) Yeah, so we're learning a lot today. (sighs) We we definitely are. You're in the shallow end with Schnepley and Toph. Has this ever happened to you? You're vacationing with some of your best friends at a seaside resort in Cabo San Lucas. You remember a funny story to share with your friends and it kills. (laughs) The next night, you're a few cocktails in. You tell the same story and crickets. Nothing's as embarrassing as telling the same joke or story two nights in a row. But that doesn't have to happen anymore with the new Joke Detector Implantable Pod. A virtually painless surgical procedure has the pod implanted just under your skin in minutes. That's when our patented technology goes to work. The next time you tell a joke, the pod transcribes the text and stores it as data. But if you retell the joke in the next six weeks, the pod delivers a 10,000 volt jolt to your thalamus, momentarily rendering you unconscious. Sure, it's painful, but wouldn't you prefer for that pain rather than telling the same joke twice your spouse your friends hell even total strangers on a cruise ship will be glad you carried the joke detector implantable pod everywhere you go the joke detector implantable pod this pod is not covered by insurance and may cause death if not surgically implanted correctly. The pod will not work with a joke about the aristocrats, any story told by Buddy Hackett, or a joke that begins with the phrase, so a duck walks into a hardware store. Certain restrictions apply. Check with your doctor before having anything implanted in your body. The Joke Detector Implantable Pod. Get yours today. You know, JG, this is the time of year where people start planning family reunions for the summer. In fact, I have one coming up in June, and I'm absolutely convinced that these cousins that I haven't seen for a while are finally going to tell me, yeah, I listened to your podcast. I don't think you guys are very good. I didn't laugh. Well, humor is subjective. So while you may have to grin and bear with your family, you shouldn't feel that way when you're talking to your doctor about, I don't know, that you maybe eat pizza one too many times a week, something like that. Well, enter ZocDoc. That's the place where you can find and book doctors will make you feel comfortable and actually listen to you. And these docs all have verified reviews from actual, real patients. And we're not talking about a few. We're talking about tens of thousands of doctors. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Look, people love this app and this website. Next time I'm looking for a doctor, this is definitely what I'm going to use. Go to ZocDoc.com slash TSE and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash T-S-E. ZocDoc.com slash T-S-E. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler, 
Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at ConstantPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Please wait an hour after eating before listening to this podcast. You're in the shallow end with Shetley and Toth. You guys have been getting a lot of emails. I'm so glad I'm not answering these. (laughs) Yeah, it's less work for you. Mm. Here's one, ironically, from a uh, listener named Kat. (gasps) Hey. Go figure that. Was it me? Uh, No, it's not. Different different last name. But she says, hey, guys, plus Kat. (laughs) Kat here. Hopping over from Boo, I wanted to share the story of the time I almost ate my dad's gallstones. Oh. I was a precocious kid and got into places I shouldn't. You'd think my father's mini fridge that he kept behind the bar wouldn't be one of those places. One day I opened the fridge with the hopes of finding snacks because my dad was notorious for hiding snacks. Lo and behold, I find a small glass bottle with a cork lid with tiny brown things that resembled Hershey's Kisses chocolates. She says, well, good thing I wasn't swimming in the shallow end that day. I decided to ask if I could eat the mysterious chocolate bits in the glass bottle. There isn't a day when I don't thank my gut for warning me not to eat the gallstones, but in the back of my mind, I wonder how they would have tasted. Yes, anyway, that's my story. Looking forward to more episodes. Sincerely, Cat. Oh, that's wonderful. Holy crap. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kat. Delightful. Joe sent an email, dear Kat Jethro and Lindsay, listening to episode 12, Prophylactic Pyrotechnics. And it reminded me of a time my husband and I decided to take an ill-advised dip in the shallow end. About 10 years ago, we found a random firework in our back garden shed and decided to light it. Well, it was, after all, bonfire night, a yearly celebration in the UK every 5th of November. I didn't know they had bonfire. We need to have never heard of that. bonfire night here yeah. in the US. I only know about it because of Pinterest. There's a lot of really cute snack like recipes to make little oh, bonfire looking wow. things, you know, with pretzels and you stack them up against each other and make a little bonfire and you cute yeah kind of a s'mores thing Mm -hmm. she goes on to say it celebrates the time in the 1600s when guy fox tried to blow up parliament or it celebrates when guy fox was thwarted trying to blow up parliament whatever your take is (laughs) any hoozle we found this firework stuck it in the ground my husband duly lit it and we stood a good 20 feet or so back to watch the firework blast into the sky It was only after it had been lit for a number of seconds that I think we both realized at the same time you shouldn't stick fireworks directly in the ground. They need to be put on some sort of round holding device so the firework can freely shoot up into the sky. I ran. I left my husband to take the full brunt of the explosion. (laughs) Our small suburban garden on the outskirts of London was lit up with the light of a thousand suns, and the blast noise was commented on for weeks by the neighbors. (laughs) I got into the house safely. My husband arrived a few seconds later with a fair few holes in his t-shirt, but none the worse for wear. We were both fine. Everything was fine, but suffice it to say, we will not be making the same mistake with fireworks again. There is a grainy bit of phone footage somewhere as a record of this momentous event. If I find it, I will forward it. I'd love to see it. <laughs> I have even sent it to You've Been Framed Once. I think the U.S. equivalent is America's Funniest Home Videos. <laughs> but they didn't want it. I'm sure it was even too stupid for them. Love the shallow end, and I'm an absolute box of oddities fan. Keep it up. Lots of love. 
Joe. Thank you, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Wow. We would love to encourage you, anybody that has a... uh, it's had a momentary dip in the shallow end. Maybe it's something that you've done, or maybe it's something you witnessed somebody do, or maybe it was just a friend. In quotes. You can email it to us at uh, lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com, but it would be even better if you recorded it, recorded the Ooh. audio with, with your phone, and then email us the, uh, the MP3 file. We'd love to hear it in your voice. Yeah, and we could very likely uh, play it on the next or one of the upcoming episodes of The Shallow End. My shallow end moment, if you will. Okay, regrouping. Is everyone ready for part two? (laughs) Well, I got one for you here. A number of years ago, I remember hearing about this couple that lived in Dallas, Texas, and they found themselves in in a very awkward and embarrassing situation. And Did a waiter call them fat? No. Or Randy Quaid? No. But we love awkward and embarrassing here. So um, the wife later explained that um, here's what happened. Um, it was, she said, it was sex night. Oh, oh that right. sounds hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every Thursday was sex night. And they were looking for ways to spice things up. Now, she, here we go. she was a little less adventurous than, than he and uh, not so enthusiastic about the idea that he had, but she went along with it in hopes to adding a little zing to their lovemaking. Oh, God I bless feel her. like that's got to happen a lot, is where one person's like, how about this? And the other one's like, okay. Yeah, sure, okay. That sounds fine. So his idea fell into the category of role-playing. He was a big fan of superhero movies, specifically Batman. And he had this fantasy in his mind that he, as Batman, would rescue his wife, the damsel in distress, who had been handcuffed to the couple's bed. So, now, she was a tad hesitant to be handcuffed, and uh, it made her very uncomfortable. But he assured her that the keys, he had them, and he showed her that they all worked and that the handcuffs could be unlocked, and so she reluctantly agreed. Does this end up being some sort of Gerald's Game kind of situation? Because that book freaked me out. Well, I'm not... Okay. Trigger warning, cat. Oh, jeez. Um, okay. I was going to say, this. like so many of these stories that we have done on this podcast, this is so early on where I find myself saying... I don't see what could go wrong here. Go on. <laughs> yeah, no, everything's going to be fine, you two. Yeah, yeah. So she agreed reluctantly to be handcuffed. Here we go. It's the first scene of this cosplay sexcapade. And the man, dressed as the Joker, stormed into the bedroom and threw his wife on the bed and then handcuffed her to the bedposts. He then told her, and I'm thinking, you know, in a, in a Joker kind of voice, I'm thinking Jack Nicholson, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say Jack Nicholson or going all the way back to uh, Cesar Romero. Yeah, in the early Batman TV the really show. really creepy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He told her he would be right back and deal with her later and then stormed out of the bedroom. Second scene. He then changed into his Batman costume and ran around the outside of his house and then <laughs> crawled through the open bedroom window to, quote, rescue the damsel in distress. 
So he had two different costumes. Oh, it was a major costume this change. This guy's yeah. this guy's all in. He's thought about this. Nothing's hotter than a costume change mid hump. <laughs> <laughs> so so this guy's wearing his Batman outfit and he climbs through the window into the bedroom. He then takes off his pants and climbs up on the dresser. The dresser. He then executed an impressive leap from the dresser to the bed as Batman to save his uh, wife. Everything was going just as planned <laughs> until the moment he leapt off the dresser. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. pantsless Batman whacked his head on the spinning ceiling fan and knocked himself unconscious. <laughs> now, it must have been a pretty good whack because he was out cold for quite a while. Meanwhile, his wife, still handcuffed to the bed, called out but received no answer. Oh, it's like my nightmare. <laughs> so she became concerned because, well, she couldn't see him and where he was lying on the floor and, and he was unresponsive. So she had to resort to yelling for help in hopes that a passerby or a neighbor would hear her calls. Hmm. Now, you're probably wondering what happened to the keys, to the handcuffs. Mm -hmm. Apparently, the husband left them in the Joker's pants. <laughs> Is that the first time in your life you've ever said those words in that order? <laughs> yes, it's a perfect moment. Yeah. Uh, and he had, uh, he had dropped Trow as Joker in the other room. And he's unconscious anyway, but she can't possibly get to them. Sure. So she starts yelling for help. Now, they lived in a townhouse, so it didn't take long for a neighbor to hear her calls for assistance. Fortunately, pantsless Batman left the home. When he left the home to walk around and climb through the bedroom window, he had left the front door unlocked. So the neighbor hears her yelling and comes over, knocks on the door. She yells, come in. He later told a network affiliate, quote, I sure wasn't expecting to see that. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants to see Batman without his pants on. Hmm. <laughs> By now, the man was beginning, thankfully, to regain consciousness and was able to tell the neighbor where the handcuff keys were. Uh, the neighbor Wouldn't would you love to hear that? <laughs> A half-naked Batman muttering, Joker's pants, <laughs> handcuff keys. <laughs> so the neighbor was able to unlock the handcuffs, freeing the wife. He then called 911 to request medical assistance for pantsless Batman. Was she like like full on? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, she was totally noodled. Yeah, okay. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I have a feeling it's going to be a while before the husband gets noodled. Yeah, <laughs> after this, yeah. 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 <laughs> Sounds terrible. So, pantsless Batman was taken to the local emergency room, treated for a concussion, and then held overnight for observation. He was released the next morning and made a full recover, uh, recovery, at least <laughs> physically. I'm guessing maybe his ego was bruised um, and took a little longer to heal. <gasps> but that brings me to this story. Oh, this is a... Oh, a yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. In researching this, I came across some other examples of uh, sexual adventures that went... Gone awry. Gone awry. Oh, jeez. This one happened in Hong Kong in 2008. A 41-year-old man named Jing was... He was lonely, and it was a rainy night. And he was sitting on a metal bench in Lantian Park in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. 
He happened to notice that the bench had ventilation holes, and this gave him an idea. He would lie face down and insert his member through the hole on the metal bench to achieve sexual gratification. On a metal bench? Yeah, metal bench. You've probably seen benches like this. They... They've got holes all the way through them to, yeah. first of all, it saves on the material, but it keeps the bench cooler. But you can't, I mean, it's metal though. It is Is it? Is that something that, I mean, I don't have, I, so my parts are, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. They're not conducive to bench humping? Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. I just think it's, it's important to point out that in my all of my years, I have probably seen a thousand benches like that, mm-hmm. and it never once occurred to me, hey, I bet I could do that with that bench. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it wasn't a rainy, lonely night. So. That's true, and I wasn't in Hong Kong. Right. Yeah, you don't yeah. know how you would have behaved. That changes everything. In that scenario. God help me if I'm ever in Hong Kong on a rainy night and I see one of these benches now. <laughs> Unfortunately, these holes were not very big, and once he became aroused, it, it got stuck. Again, aroused by a bench. Yeah. Mm, I don't know. He was probably picturing it as a sexy bench. Oh. Yeah, very, yeah. <laughs> Wearing little right? stockings. Silk and lace on the sides. A bench corset. Sexy bench. Okay. So he's there, he's aroused, he can't get his wing out, and panic set in. After many attempts to extricate himself from his humping bench, uh, (laughs) he used his cell phone and I'm sure reluctantly called the police. So they find this guy, and there's a picture of him, I'll, I'll send it to you, we can put it online. They found him face down on the park bench with his engorged willy stuck in a hole. Now, you would think that maybe a little lube would solve this problem, but no, they couldn't get this guy free. So it, after it became engorged and and the the bench was tied around yeah. his, his bits, it, mm-hmm. probably it it, irritation yeah. and swelling mm-hmm. and okay, yeah. okay. But wouldn't you think that that panic of realizing what had happened would <laughs> would cause you to shrinkage yeah 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 that was my thought guess, too but apparently not not in hong Kong. maybe it was still he couldn't get rid of the sexy bench imagery panic. well sure he's only human lens yeah he's not made of steel just his date this is one sexy bench after all <laughs> go on <laughs> So they can't get him free. Emergency workers had to cut the entire bench from the sidewalk and take him in the bench to the hospital. Oh, my gosh. So they carry this guy into the emergency room face down with his winky sticking through the hole in this metal bench. Um, and it took doctors four hours to separate him from his, oh my Lord. his love bench. I bet that looked terrible. The bench or his? His. Yeah. His, well, yeah. I imagine. Yeah. Wow. And then there's this one. This one happened not far from you, Newport Beach, California. Sure, the Newport Beach. Yeah. This is back in 2014. There are a lot of sexy benches there. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to go find out. The day is young. The day is young, my friend. So this couple shows up in an emergency room. The physician, whose name was Dr. David Myers, was told by the couple that the woman was experiencing burning and itching sensations in her vaginal region. Oh, no. At first, there was some confusion. It appeared as though the couple didn't want to talk too much about this. But as he continued his conversation with the couple, facts began to emerge. Now, do you remember the candy Pop Rocks? 
Sure. I love Pop Rocks. Little clumps of sugar that would snap and crackle when you put them in your mouth. Well. Yeah, they'd they'd sizzle. Yeah. Mm. It seemed as though this couple thought it might be fun to to put the exploding candy in her genitals during sex. Interesting. (laughs) Huh. Okay. So Dr. Myers was stunned when he heard that they used Pop Rocks. But like inside? Yeah. I mean, I can see, like if you... (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yes, go on. Yeah. Kat says, I mean, I could see, you know, if you did this. You know how, like, when you roll a banana in nuts uh-huh. and they just kind of to the outside? Right. And it yeah. doesn't, like, an in. Yeah. It doesn't go in. So, okay. So, so the outside, uh-huh. the, just, it, and then the, with the popping, you know what I'm saying? It, sure. Fine. Yeah. It would but react. Ins, with, mm-hmm. like, yeah. Mm-hmm. In. This was in. in. Sure. It was sure. an attempt to heighten their, their lovemaking. I don't know. Now it's making sense. Myers told. TLC television shows Sex Sent Me to the ER, which, by the way, I'm going to be watching now. Can't believe I've never heard of that show. (laughs) The woman said, quote, The rocks were supposed to have added to our sexual pleasure, and I made my husband use them. Now, I don't have a lot of detail on how the pop rocks were administered. I can only speculate, but in my mind, I pictured her standing on her head, and he's pouring them in with a funnel. (laughs) That's Probably not what happened, but regardless. Because any story with a funnel is automatically funnier. Well, yeah. If you add a funnel or a drop cloth to any story, (laughs) it gets better. Or cabbage. Or cabbage. But regardless, if you think about how Pop Rocks are shaped Mm. and the fact that they don't dissolve immediately, it must have been kind of like sandpaper during the sexual act itself. And then this stuff dissolves and irritates those sandpaper-like abrasions. Plus, it's a waste of perfectly good candy from the 70s. Sidebar, those of you born in the 70s, you probably heard that Mikey, the kid from Life Cereal ads, uh, died when he ate Pop Rocks and drank some Coke, but you've been misinformed. Uh, It's not true. No, that was one of those playground urban legends, and why that one took root is beyond me. Maybe because it was so incredibly specific. Yeah. Somebody had to come up with that idea. He's like thinking, okay, first I need a victim. Who's the cutest kid that I know? Uh, well, it would have to be Mikey from the Life Serial uh, ads. And since it was the 70s, he would have to die presumably using a product that was wildly popular at the time. Okay, Pop Rocks. Now, the Pop Rocks have to interact with something. Coca-Cola, that seems like it could be dangerous. And the urban sure. legend was born. How did urban legends spread before the internet? I don't... Kids would just tell each other on the playground. I remember all kinds of weird stuff like... uh, Wait, kids hung out with you on the playground? No. As far as you know, no. (laughs) But he read that other kids... I did. I heard it. I heard about it. Yeah. (laughs) There was all kinds of crazy stuff like that, like... uh, uh, Leave it to Beaver. Jerry Mathers died in Vietnam. You know, did you ever hear that one? Right. Yeah. I did hear that. Yeah. 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 That's not true either. That's not true either. Doesn't matter. Okay. Anyway, don't put pop rocks in your vagina. And if you want to cosplay a pantsless Batman, make sure you have adequate head clearance. Also, don't hump metal park benches. Other than that, I think we've pretty much covered everything. Yeah, good pieces of advice. Yep. My source information, The Daily News, Asylum.com, TLC's Sex Sent Me to the ER, and a website called (laughs) WeirdAsianNews.com. Again, if you'd like to send us your dip in the shallow end, uh, we'd love to have you record it on your phone and email us the file. Or you can type it out if you want to go old school. Uh, It's lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. 
Remember, make good decisions. Your life might depend on it. So concludes another episode of The Shallow End with Schnebley and Toff. We thank you for listening. Oh, be a dear, would you? Please subscribe to this podcast, give these boys a five-star rating, and think of something nice to say, even if you have to make something up. And visit us online at shallowendpodcast.com. All content copyright 2022. Misuse of this podcast may result in serious injury or even death. Follow all label directions. This offer void in Fort Kent, Maine, and Tucson, Arizona. And parts of Orlando. Don't ask, just trust us. Okay, gotta go.